Hey, it's good to be with you tonight. Um, we start a new little mini class for the month of December until the uh, new quarter or a new quarter will begin. Uh, and uh, we're going to look at some lessons from the birth of Jesus. I'm sure some of you saw that posted online as a little advertisement. But we're going to do that for the next three or four weeks. I don't know what we're doing on Wednesday night, the week of Christmas. But if we're here, we'll talk about it. If we're not, we won't. So uh, as, as we all know, this month uh, especially, uh, the world around us thinks about Jesus in a way it doesn't most of the other time. This month, and we know in a couple months after that. Uh, and with that being the case, we, I think as Christians, we have an incredible opportunity to share Jesus with other people. Amen. Instead of using this month as a, uh, when people are thinking about Jesus to say, well, we're not going to talk about it or to ignore it. Uh, we have a great opportunity and this is just my personal opinion, but I think if the world's thinking about Jesus, we should talk about him, don't you? I mean, I think people need to hear about him, and if there's something specifically they're thinking about, then we can use this great opportunity to share him and his message with other people. And so uh, I thought we might try to take advantage of this cultural moment this month and talk about some lessons when it comes to Jesus' life, specifically his birth. I, I think we tend to narrow down Jesus' life to, to three big events, don't we? There's the birth. There's the death and there's the resurrection. When we think about Jesus, like that's the big three in a way. You have the birth, uh, the death, and the resurrection. If you had to pick one of those, which one of those three do you think we talk about the most? A lot. Of, I hear a lot of resurrection. I'll be honest with you. I, I think it's the death. That's just me. And that, there's, that's not a bad thing, by the way. I, I would say... When it comes to those three, it's just my opinion. I think in the church at large, we, we probably spend the most time speaking about his death. And that makes sense. Um, it is the crucifixion of Jesus that really is the most known story in the history of this world. I mean, that cross is a symbol that it really doesn't matter who you speak to. They know what that means, don't they? They at least know the story behind that to some extent. Um, they know about a God who would lay down his life for a sinner. I mean, that's a story like no other. And we speak about it often. I mean, we, our communion is rooted in the death of, of Jesus that we do every Sunday. And so the cross is powerful. We speak about it probably most often because that cross convicts us of sin. It calls us back to our Creator and Father. And it changes us through that great example of love. Second most, what would you say? I, I think it's resurrection. Um, I'll be honest, it depends on maybe your church upbringing, but I think there's some out there that don't spend a lot of time on the resurrection. That's a shame if we only speak about the resurrection during a certain month. You know, you get to Easter Sunday. I'm not, not talking about holidays, but just Easter Sunday, and you get a resurrection sermon, right? I think the Bible would say we should probably spend more time on it than just that. Uh, the resurrection is the foundation of our hope. It's what makes our faith meaningful. It, Jesus rising from the grave makes all of this real and that we have assured and certain hope after this life that we'll be united uh, with Jesus in a resurrection like his because we have been united with him in a death like his. That's what Paul would say in Romans chapter 6. And so we will be made anew, we'll be transformed into a resurrected body to be with Jesus as a new and perfected uh, creation forever. And, and it, and I don't know if we emphasize the resurrection enough. I've heard plenty of lessons here, so I think we, we emphasize the resurrection. Um, but the resurrection is the message Paul and the followers of Jesus, that's the message they went out and spread. 
That was the gospel they went and shared. That he has died but has been raised. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Um, the birth, not so much, right? You know, it comes to the birth of Jesus. It's not as often. You maybe hear about it more in this month. But it's not mentioned as much. And that, I'm not saying that's wrong or there's bad reasons for that. I think sometimes we don't talk about it as often because of fear of giving off the wrong impression about when his actual birth date was or some other reasons like that. By the way, this series has nothing to do with talking about the holiday or when his birth date is. That's not the point of this class. Um, But uh, we shouldn't ignore the birth. I mean, that's an event that's changed everything, hasn't it? God becoming flesh is a big deal. The word becoming flesh is worthy of our uh, is worthy of our attention. Um, God becoming man changes the fate of us. It changes the fate of Earth of all creation. God becoming man is the answer to the greatest problem to ever exist. It's the beginning of the answer to every problem that's ever existed. It's the beginning to a beautiful invitation from our God to be with Him at His table again. It is through God becoming man and what He would then do as a man. And offer himself up that leads to this wonderful relationship we have with him. So the birth of Jesus is worthy of our attention. I think about what John said at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the word, the logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. And he would say that he was in the beginning with God. That all things were made through him. That's Jesus, the logos. And without him was not anything made Uh, That was made. In him was life. And life was the light of men. It shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And he gets down to verse 14 and he'd say this. That God, that Logos, that Word became flesh. And that has some repercussions throughout all of history. But the Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you realize what that means, the Word became flesh? That means the infinite, invisible, intangible God became a person that you and I could touch and see. That means the God that no one has ever seen before, in His fullest extent, has now been made known through Jesus becoming flesh we now can know and see God in a way no one else ever could before because He became flesh. That means something. I think that's worthy of our attention. Uh, We're not going to study simply the fact that He was born, and here's exactly how it happened. Um, A 28-year-old male does not want to talk about a birth for that long. Uh, But what we are going to do is, what's interesting in the Gospels is you see a lot of different... You thought that was funny. I appreciate that. Uh, You see a lot of different lives intersect at the birth. Lives of different people, of those close to Jesus, of his parents, of enemies of Jesus. And all of their life is in some way impacted the moment Jesus is starting to be carried and then then born. And I thought what we might do for a few weeks is look at some of these different people and see how their life was affected by Jesus. And there's a lot of little lessons and takeaways in these accounts and stories. And so... Understand, the message of Jesus and his birth, it is the beginning of hope for you and I. It is the beginning of an invitation to come sit at his table, to have this renewed relationship with him. Um, And that's important for us. We're not going to spend every week talking about that, but I want to look at some people 
and how their lives interacted. And tonight, I want to talk about this man. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Joseph is, is really the big example of what a stepdad is like in Scripture. You ever thought about that? That, you know, Jesus had an earthly mother and he had a heavenly father. But we, we know through the virgin birth, as we'll see, that he didn't have an earthly father in that sense. But yet Joseph fulfilled that role while he was on earth. And I want to look at his life a little bit. So turn to Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And let's talk about um, Jesus' earthly father. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. So the accounts of Jesus being born are, are found in, in Matthew and Luke. While John will mention about you know, God becoming flesh, um, and Mark just is like an action scene movie uh, of a gospel. He just jumps straight into it. These are the two where we, we see about the birth. And we're going to look at Matthew for the most part uh, tonight. When it comes to Joseph, we don't know a ton about him. Uh, he isn't mentioned past the early life of Jesus. The last time you see him mentioned in the gospel is, do you remember when Jesus was lost and his parents were looking for him as a young boy when he went to the temple and they couldn't find him for some time? That's the last time we are really told about Joseph. And the belief is behind that is that they assume or they believe Joseph must have died. Um, that between those ages of you know 30 when Jesus starts his ministry and his time as a young boy, Joseph must have died in there because there's nothing we read about Joseph that says he was had bad character or was an ungodly man, so it doesn't seem like he'd just run off. And it was um, and it's assumed that maybe he had passed. And that's kind of the, the idea you'll get um, from what people think. But what we know about Joseph is that he was a carpenter. That word literally means he was a maker of things. So he worked with his hands. That's uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 3. We know from his family lineage, um, from the genealogy in Matthew and Luke, um, so we know a little bit about his line or where he came from, and we know about his character based off the interactions we see in the first few chapters of Matthew's gospel and the few stories he's mentioned in. And so I just want to look at this story and, and, and just kind of get some takeaways from it. Start with me in verse 18 and verse 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Um, let's just pause right there. Joseph had two parents. He had Mary and Joseph, and they were betrothed. Does anybody know what a betrothal is? We compare it to an engagement, you know, a modern-day engagement. But there are some, some big differences between what those two are. Um, it's what's comparable to us, but there are some differences. A betrothal in the ancient Jewish world was more binding than an engagement. For example, if I get down on one knee and I get engaged to some girl, there's nothing really necessarily holding me to her. Like, if we wanted to end it, that hap that's happened before to people before, right? And there's... You don't have to go to the courthouse and get divorced when you're engaged. You have to awkwardly tell people about it for a while, but you don't have to do all the extra stuff. Um, that's not the case uh, in a betrothal. It was so serious that they had to have a bill of divorce that would be signed by two witnesses. We see that in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 22. And we actually will see this in the next verse in this passage too, that he had to divorce her. Um, 
this couple, when they were betrothed, you would be considered essentially married. That's how serious of a, a binding agreement it was. Now, you wouldn't live together, but you would be considered married in a way. Uh, the betrothal, to my best of my understanding, would last a year. And then it would be have a feast at the end of this year, and, be con- and then the marriage would be consummated. Uh, even though the betrothal was considered a binding agreement, uh, sexual relations were restricted until actual marriage. So it, they didn't actually be together until after the end of the year, after the betrothal finished, and they would have the marriage ceremony, which still shows that when they're betrothed, they still wouldn't have been active in that way. And so that's a betrothal. I don't know how long, far along they are in this betrothal, but at some point, um, before they ever had come to be physical together, she's found to be with child. She is found means that she was showing some signs of being pregnant. Don't know what those signs were. Was there a bump showing? Was she having morning sickness when they were going to eat brunch? And he's like, you've been sick every time we've had scrambled eggs the last two weeks. I don't, you know, I don't know. But there were some signs that she was uh, with child. And so that phrase, before they came together, that reinforces this idea of a virgin birth, showing, you know, he says, Holy Spirit, this is an act of God. This is the Holy Spirit working in the life to miraculously bring about life inside of Mary. This is Jesus, who is 100% God and 100% man. I know that math might not make sense to people in our terms, but he's 100% God, 100% man. And you see that from the very beginning, that he is the product of man and God. And so, imagine, though, being Joseph. Can you imagine finding this out? Can you, if you had to sketch your face, what would it look like, fellas? Now, maybe his parents had arranged this betrothal. That's probably likely. But you would imagine Joseph had hopes and wishes and dreams, just like Mary did. Excited about getting married, all of this. And then one day you realize... This woman that you are to spend the rest of your life with, to be committed to, to have a family with, is pregnant. You know, uh-oh. <laughs> That's, that had to just shake everything for him. Now, how would you have responded? Um, would you tell everybody about it? Would you just immediately, immediately say, hey, this girl has cheated. She's been unfaithful. I'm going to tell everyone about it. Uh, she needs to be ashamed. She, people need to know I was done wrong. I, I was done dirty in a way. Would you make a scene out of it? When I was young and I would skip school, not skip school, sorry, when I was sick from school. <laughs> oh, to tell on yourself in public. Uh, I would go to grandma's often and I learned quickly that daytime talk shows terrible. Um, you know, I, daytime talk shows terrible. But there were some shows that I was not encouraged to watch, but I'd flip through like Maury, the Maury show, or Judge Judy, those judge shows. And often they would have like this grandiose, like, we're going to take a DNA test, and who is the father, and all of this stuff. And they make this scene, and they air out all this dirty laundry. And I don't think any of us would want to go on television, but would you have the urge or inclination to do that if you felt like you were cheated on and done wrong, that I'm going to just air this out for everyone to know? I want people to know I was done wrong and what's happened to me. Would you want to punish her for it? Because that, that's an option. That was an option. Notice how Joseph responds, though. What does it say about him? What was his decision? What did he want to do? 
Yeah, he resolved to divorce her quietly. By the way, if you want to know how serious a betrothal is, notice what he called her and her husband. See, they husband and wife. That's how serious this was. But he's a just man, doesn't want to put her to shame. He resolves to divorce her quietly. The two reasons were he's just and he doesn't want to put her to shame. Now, putting her to shame, what might that involve in Jewish times? Yeah, adultery uh, was punishable. You could be punished by being stoned to death. Um, we see that in Leviticus chapter 20. That was an offense punishable by stoning. Um, there are some, there is some thought from scholars that may not have happened here due to, or would not have happened here due to there's no male guilty party present. I mean, who do you, who do you pick out to be the male partner in this? Because um, I don't think any guy's going to volunteer for that position. And there's no evidence of somebody. Um, but there's multiple ways they, they could have shamed her. And he says, I don't want to shame her. That word shame literally means to make a public disgrace. To make it like a spectacle out of her. Uh, he says, I'm unwilling to do that. So he chooses to divorce her. Notice, he's made the decision. I'm going to divorce her, but I'm not going to damage her. Um, because he's a righteous man. He's a just man. That's what that word means. So we see his character here. He's a man of mercy. Jesus would later say, I desire mercy, not Sacrifice. Joseph here is a man who is one of mercy. Um, Jesus had a heavenly father who was merciful. He also had an earthly father who was merciful. And he had an example that way. And I think there's a lesson here for you and I just, just from this moment. How we react to those who wrong us reveals our character. And I'm going to say wrong us in parentheses because we understand she actually didn't wrong him. But how we react to the people who wrong us reveals our character. What is our desire when a person does us wrong? What's the initial desire? Not what is our, what should our desire be or what, how should we act or respond in Jesus or with a Christ-like attitude. But what, as humans, seems to be our initial desire? I heard a few things. I heard punish, I think. What else did we, what someone say? Revenge. Okay. Anything else? Justice. justice. And, and by the way, I'm not saying here justice is a bad thing. Justice is, is good. God's a God of justice. But, you know, do we want people to be embarrassed? To be humiliated? Uh, you know, to endure punishment that we feel like we've been righted in the way they've wronged us? Um, let me ask you this. How do we often speak about people who have wronged us? Probably rarely ever positively. Uh, we're, we're negative. And how, how many people do we tell about it? Just like just our spouse or our dad or mom. Just like that one person that never gets out, right? No, in our society, we can't even go to a restaurant we think is poor without leaving a review. How do you think we deal with people who've wronged us? And so how do we talk about them? Today, a lot of what we do is, I think with some, is we rush online and we slander that person. Don't we? We go online and we just, we just try to destroy that person's reputation and character. And that's wrong if, it's, if what happened is true or false. That's just wrong. And that's not who Joseph was. Uh, I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen this, haven't you? Have you seen people who, ru- who rush to just slander and assassinate a character and damage your reputation? Mike? Joseph, before we get too far. Yeah, by not saying anything, 
he was also making himself vulnerable. <coughs> because to say something and to bring it out into the open would shame her and, it, and would put the, for sure the blame on her. By not saying anything and making it quiet, well then people would be thinking, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He now might become the target of whispers and, uh, and so on and so forth, but he's willing to, to take that on. That's a really good thought. Uh, if you couldn't hear him, he said, by not shaming her, you know, people are now going to look around and see Joseph and then see Mary, his, for all intents and purposes, fiance, and she's pregnant, and they're going to have whispers about him. And so he's going to take some of the, the blame or the shame or whatever in his defense of her. I mean, that's the kind of character he was. He didn't really care about how people would necessarily talk about him or what they would think of him. He was more concerned about her and not disgrace. That's a fantastic point. I didn't think about, I think for mentioning that. Um, but you know, do we rush online to slander people? I, I've seen this just in my short time in ministry. I, I've seen couples like in the church who they go through these ugly divorces and like they get online and they choose to air out all their dirty laundry for one reason or another. And do you know who that benefits? Nobody, definitely not the kids. It doesn't benefit your spouse or your ex-spouse. It also doesn't benefit you. This doesn't apply to this situation per se, but I had an instructor in school who used to say, don't wrestle with pigs because you both get dirty and pigs like it. (laughs) But there's kind of some truth in that when it comes to, you know, rushing online or slandering people or gossiping is when you do that, you're just making yourself wrong. You're just dirtying up yourself. and But is that what we do? I, I've seen individuals or groups who've been wronged, uh, been wronged, like they have been wronged, or maybe they just felt wronged by a church or somebody in the church, and they make it a mission to have other people feel the same way. I want you to think negatively about that person or about this group. I want you to have this view of them. And they make that almost like their mission. It's like, how can I embarrass them or ruin their influence? How can I pull you away? That's wrong. That's not being just or righteous. Uh, And I'm not saying we should lie when people wrong us. But there's a big difference between lying and then going around making it our business to tell people all the ways of how, when, and everything that happened. That's not who Joseph was. Joseph was a man of character. Um, he showed mercy. You know, here's a really good question for you and I. Would we want God to deal with our wrongs the way we deal with those who wrong us? I'm pretty sure all of us have had a boss that did us dirty. I'm pretty sure all of us have had someone who's lied to us. I think we've all had someone who has shared untruths about us to somebody else. I think we all have even made mistakes that we thought wouldn't get out or were shared in confidence, and they were shared. We've all been wronged in a variety of ways. Would we want God to deal with us the way we, we have dealt with those people? For me, the answer is no. Um, and thankfully, we don't have a God like that. But Joseph showed great godly character by showing mercy. And that shows you that Jesus had a merciful Father in heaven He had a merciful father in his time on earth, too. Any thoughts or comments about that specific thing before we keep going?
here. Like when you respond to how you're wrong justly, you have an encouraging influence on someone else to do the same. When I know my brother has been done dirty by somebody and he doesn't speak ill of them or slander them, it makes me want to handle my situations in life that way. And so there's an encouraging impact there. Uh, But keep reading. So he's made the decision. It says he had resolved to divorce her quietly. And you pick up in verse 20. It says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As Joseph went to make this decision, uh, and this angel comes and appears to him in a dream and corrects him or informs him on the accurate um, situation. Uh, Joseph, we see, has dreams throughout the early life of Jesus. If you're reading in your physical Bible on your phone, like if you scroll down to chapter 2 and verse 13, when it came to Jesus being born and where they would live, uh, he receives another dream to go to Egypt uh, to avoid Herod and his attempts to kill him. He received a dream afterwards in, in chapter 2 and verse 19 when Herod died, that it was okay to go back to Israel. And then in verse 22 of chapter 2, he would receive a dream to go to Galilee over Judea since Archelaus uh, took over his father's place in that position of Herod. And so Joseph is one who received dreams. I don't know if all of them happened when he was sleeping. (laughs) This one might, just by the way you read it. Um, uh, We'll see that in in a later verse. But he appears to him in a dream and he says, hey, she did not cheat. She did not be unfaithful. She didn't fool around. Uh, yes? I've often wondered what, it, what Joseph's concept was. Who is the Holy Spirit? I mean, is the count corner down here? You know, uh, it says he's a just man. He's probably a righteous man. And how much that he understands about the Holy Spirit, I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. He would probably know just as much as they understood from scriptures and what he had been taught growing up as, you know, as a Jew. But how much he knew, I have no idea. Um, but clearly, he would know the Holy Spirit is alive and active. <laughs> I think you could assume that. Who else had their hand up? There were a few. Yeah. So, the Mary chosen for the mother of Jesus because she was special. She was pure. She was holy. She was everything you would want in a mother. But the fact that Joseph was his father speaks volumes about his character. And and, and as you previously mentioned, but God would not have allowed him to be stepdad had he not been a person of a man's character. You know, I, I really don't know. Like, I don't know why he chose who he chose, but he did make those decisions. But I think what we do see through our scriptures, they both seem to be exemplary people. I think you see faith exhibited in them. You see qualities that would would be uh, shown in a Christ-like person. Um, and in his life, Joseph, I mean, we don't see much because he's not mentioned after so much. But the little we get, you see someone who is merciful. You see someone who fought, has, is a man of conviction. And you see someone who, when the Lord speaks to him, he follows and so he's a great example in the little we have. And I think Mary's similar to that. Yeah. I mean, he is exhibiting a lot of faith. 
if we did a New Testament Hall of Faith, you'd put him in there. He fits. Um, he fits well. And so, but we see here, he's, he's told, you know, through a dream of her innocence. And I think, once again, there's a little lesson here too. <laughs> Be careful about making decisions based off assumptions. Um, when we make decisions based off what we think we know, sometimes we come to regret them. His initial decision is based off an assumption. Now, granted, how many of us would make that very same assumption? Survey says all of us, okay? Every single one of us would have made that. Um, but the assumption was incorrect. He didn't have all the information. Some of what he knew was incorrect. That might be true with us sometimes in our life. Have you ever made a decision based off an assumption? And when I say decision, I also mean a judgment. You ever made a judgment on somebody and you really didn't know all the pertinent information or the correct information? And you go, oh, yeah, maybe maybe I misjudged her or him or this situation or why that happened or you name it. That happens with us. Uh, we, When conflict happens between us and we, when we hear rumors about people, uh, we often don't have all the information. And we make assumptions and we make decisions about it. We got to be careful about that. Um, it's good to. It's always good to find better or more information before we make decisions. If you want some good advice for decision making when it comes to this, um, sleep on it. Number one, like if you look at verse twenty-four, which is I don't think it's up here just yet, but if you look at verse uh, twenty-four, it says when Joseph woke from sleep. <laughs> Notice he made a different decision when he woke up than when he slept. I know that's not what the passage is about, but you ever slept on something and your mind changed? What happens when you get some sleep before making a big decision? Don't your emotions kind of wear off sometimes? You ever get in the heat of the moment when you're angry or you're upset and what you want to say or do is going to happen and then you wait 12 hours? Do you maybe say or do the same thing? No, you kind of let the emotions drain off. Uh, he slept on it. Maybe for us, just a practical thing. When we're making decisions, big ones, or we're in conflict, sleep on it. You know, allow some time. Another one is let the Lord speak. That's a big one we see here. Before he actually did make this decision, God spoke to him and he listened and he followed. And for you and I, that's important that in our interactions with people and in our daily life, when things happen to us, that we allow God to speak into our situation. What does God say about this? What does his word say? And then follow it. Um, and so those are just some. But he shared some details from the angels. If you look, or from the angel, excuse me. Um, notice what he says to him. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Just from that one line, what does he learn about this child? What are some of the observations you would make? He's going to be important. How do we know that? What did he, he say? Yeah, the angel told us so. Notice some of the things he says, though. Joseph, what does he call Joseph? Okay, if you back up in chapter 1 and you look at the genealogy, is Joseph's father named David? What does son of David mean? You're from the lineage of King David. Also, that's a messianic type term. And so when he says, Joseph, son of David, and David's not your father, you're going, hey, I know that term and what that means. They would know what this means. So he's thinking, oh, 
this this is important, or now this must be important, and I'm now in this line. Uh, that would speak to him. He would say the fact the Holy Spirit created it. That would say important. Um, it's a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, so there's a few things. That's a messianic term, son of David. So that's a special child, he would understand. That child's a product of God. It's not Mary's unfaithfulness. This child will be called Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. Jesus is a Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. That was a common name, and that common name was chosen to show the purpose of which God's son was coming into the world. He was coming for salvation. Yeah. The genealogies uh, are a little confusing. Matthew comes through the line of the father. Um, and so I, I probably would need to study some of that a little more. I don't know if someone else here off the top of their head knows. Luke, Luke uses a different genealogy than Matthew does. Um, I know he would be in the line of David, but I, I, I can need to study that probably a little more. I just didn't have time to look at some of that. So someone else have their hand up. Yeah. About Joseph again, and yeah. just as you're bringing out these points about him, it seems to me another quality that he had was that he was very spiritually sensitive. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, he had a dream. Well, you know, we all have dreams. But to, to be able to sense that God was speaking to him and understand what was going on, you know, you've brought up the idea that the angel address, or in the dream, addresses him as Joseph, son of David. Uh, you have to have somebody that had some really some spiritual sensitivity to put those two ideas together. That I'm being, you know, addressed as the, you know, yeah. the son of David. Uh, that's all I'm saying. That's he would have had some type of spiritual person. mindset to yeah. connect some of these things. Absolutely, and, and to realize uh, and to accept it. And, 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 you know, as we would say today, and go with that the very next day. They, they didn't spend a week going back and forth and, you know, set out the fleece to see maybe is this true or not true. He had the dream and he, he, uh, he took it as, you know, as truth. Yeah. And, 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 and acted on it. He, yeah, he, he had a, some type of spiritual mind to take all that in, to make some of these connections and then, and we'll talk about that in a moment, to go through with this. Um, it says the name of Jesus, Yahweh is salvation. That's exactly what God's Son was coming into the world to do. That's quoted to say it's fulfilling this prophecy in verse 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. That's Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So think about... John, when he would say, the word became flesh. That's God becoming like a human being with us. This is the very living presence of God amongst people, becoming knowable. Um, Colossians would talk about Jesus is the, the very image of God. You can know what he looks like and what he is like because of Jesus in his life. And so here he says, Emmanuel, Jesus. He's showing who Jesus is from the very beginning. And Joseph awakes and he chooses to stay with Mary. He chooses to not know his wife, as it says, when Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph is a man of character, wouldn't you say? Because 
He takes this situation that is not ideal by any means, and he listens to God, he obeys God, and he just continues to walk forward um, and, and fulfill his responsibility. In addition to the fact we've already acknowledged that he was a righteous man, when it says that he uh, did as the angel of the Lord told him to do, he also was well aware of what was coming not just spiritually, but physically. He was, he was going to be the father of an illegitimate child, according to those people that were there. Yeah. He knew they could count the months, and the months weren't going to be you know, in line. And he accepted that at the same time when he, when he was saying, okay, I'm going to do what, what the angel said. Yeah, choosing, choosing life in this situation, like, and choosing to be the father of this child, to stay in this relationship, he knew that would have some worldly consequences for him. You think people believed him when he said, yeah, that was a miraculous child. after the fact. Yeah, they clearly don't. Especially, A lot of them really don't know it. Um, but Joseph, I think, got it from the get-go. Um, but you're right, though. There would have been worldly consequences. For example, in John chapter 8, we talked about this in our Live No Lies class and with Satan. When Jesus is having this conversation about, if you do my word, you truly are my disciples. If you abide in me, he says, you will know truth. The truth will set you free. And he gets in this back and forth, and they say, well, we're the... He says, you know, Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. They're like, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We're not a slave. He's, they say, he is our father. And um, they go back and forth and they tell Jesus, well, we're not child, illegitimate children like you. We're not born out of sexual immorality like you. There were people who would have that thought about him. And Joseph would have had to endure that as well. And so I just want you to think about this just from you as a human perspective. Because sometimes we read this and we don't think about these people being like you and I. Can you imagine, I don't know what the time frame for this was, but how would you describe, if say this was a 48-hour period of him finding out she's pregnant and then the angel of the Lord talking to him, how would you describe that 48-hour period if it was 48 hours? What? what? A really long two days. Gut-wrenching? Stressful? Don't you think it's like a roller coaster? I mean, you're arranged to be married, so there's hopes, dreams, and love. And then in an instant, that seems to all be crashed because she's been unfaithful. And I don't, he's, and he's thinking, I don't want to start, you know, a life with this woman who's unfaithful to me already and all of this and, and to start with a child. So he's probably heartbroken, but yet he still chooses to be merciful and handle it the right way. And then as he starts to do that, he learns the truth, which so think about this. Then God speaks to you. What? An angel, what? Uh, okay. And then, wait, so she, she wasn't unfaithful. This has got to be stressful and just a roller coaster of emotions. Um, you know, imagine starting your married life immediately with a child, just off the bat. Can you imagine that? This person you've never been with, just the moment 
you know, I do, boom, and child. That had to be a lot um, just for him. And to know, but think about how stressful it must have been to know who that child is. Parents, do you ever feel pressure with the children you've been blessed with to raise them the right way? Does that responsibility ever weigh on you a little bit? Like, God's given me this beautiful blessing and he's turned the sand dial and I have so much time to, to minister and raise this child. Imagine if your child was Jesus. Would you feel a little bit of pressure? Like, I don't care how good of a parent you are. Yeah? This is supposed to be a savior. I'm not sure he really even knew what all that meant. He knows it's important. Um, but that's got to be a lot on him and on Mary. And we'll talk about Mary another week. But here's how he handled the pressure. He followed the will and word of God. When God spoke, he listened and he went through with it. Um, and that says a lot about him. I think there's a message for you and I in that. And that really does fit, as you said, to last quarter of lessons about faith. Of what God says, letting, letting that guide you. <laughs> Just think about it for a moment. Joseph could have said no. He could have. I'm sure God could have made it work however God needed to, because that's God. But he could have said no. Can you imagine the burden Mary would have had to endure of carrying and caring for a child all alone? Especially in that society. Is that even doable? Yet Joseph was a just man. And he raised this young family. And he was the man he needed to be. Now, we don't think of Jesus in this way, but as a young boy, Jesus needed a father. Jesus needed a dad. And that's what he got. And apparently he got a really loving, merciful one at that. And so, I don't know if we think of these people like that sometimes, but that's the case. And so, it's just interesting how this moment of Jesus being conceived absolutely changes the course of Joseph's life. But I would say it changed his life for the better. And we're going to see some other people involved in this story in different places and other passages as we keep looking at the story. So when you think of Jesus' birth and you think of his earthly father, there's a few really interesting nuggets of application for you and I. And there's a really great example in there. And you see two individuals who help bring about this wonderful gift of a Savior that we have. And so, any thoughts or questions about that as we close? Here, we'll we'll go John. John hasn't said a comment in like ever in my class, so I'm going to ask John first. That's not a Sorry. In your your 48-hour comment, one of the things that I would like to think happened is that she said, well, you know, I had a visit from an angel, too, and they, they talked about that, and he said, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, there might have been some corroborating evidence. Yes. That's true. We didn't start with Mary. That was too obvious to start, so I went to Joseph instead. That's my male bias, as you can tell. Um, but, no, that's a good point. She, there might have been some uh, things go back and forth there. Yeah. Imagine Jesus being your son. 
not trying to be offensive, Jesus, but just imagine it's like, I don't know what that is. And he's like, actually, it's this verse. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just making stuff up. Uh, but when you think about the birth of Jesus and people talk about it, it's a story of hope. It changes our life. It's changed the world's life. But there's also a lot of little cool things in there of application. So if someone wrongs you this week, by the way, how are you going to handle it? Um, when you have conflict, what are you going to assume when you make your decisions? Uh, but be a just person like Joseph was. And he's a great example. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your attention. And we will continue this next time.